Shout to the heart, you're to blame, you give love a bad name. We're going to be talking today about things in life that give love a bad name. That, that word love is such a powerful word, but it's been diluted in our society. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about next week. Next week, we're going to be covering a topic that I am beyond excited about. If you're in any type of physical relationship with someone, I'm going to change your life next week. Men, you want to be in this service next week. I say all that to say this. If you have children, next week we are going to be covering some very intimate subjects. You're your child's best parent. If you want your child in here for that and you want to go home and talk to your children about biblical positions and what is allowed and what is not allowed in the bedroom, by all means have them in the service. If not, we have a great kids area next door. But trust me, if you have to choose who's going to stay home and who's not men, you don't want to stay home. You want to be here because if there's ever a message, I feel like I beat you up last week, men. So next week, I'm going to help you out. And ladies, I'm going to help you out. And you say, we're really going to talk about that subject in church? There's a whole book in the Bible that talks about that subject. And we're going to have fun. And you're going to be uncomfortable. And my wife's really going to be uncomfortable. And I'm just going to preach the Bible. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. I'm licking my chops for next week. But this week... You give love a bad name. I mean, it's one of those songs that just hits you. He's talking because he's a guy. He's talking about a woman. And he's talking about he's met this woman and he's fallen in love with this woman. And don't you remember when you meet somebody and you fall in love with them and you have all these expectations and they're amazing and suddenly you just realize that the love is nothing like you imagined it. Matter of fact, dare I say, the love's a little bit crazy. Matter of fact, it's such a toxic situation that it actually taints your view on love. And that's what he's telling this woman. I had all these expectations, man. I was excited. I was drawn to you. But you're such a horrible person that you've literally ruined me on love. You've given love a bad name. And I was thinking about that song, and I was playing it over, and I was thinking about the subject of love and thinking about some subjects that I wanted to cover. And I got to thinking about while the song is talking about a girl, you could change out a girl and put in church. Because if there was ever something that was created to be a place of love, it's the house of God. If there was ever a place that was created to be loving and accepting, it's the local church. This ought to be the most open, exclusive, inclusive, whatever the right word is, place in the world. Anybody ought to be able to come through here. And they ought to feel the love, not only of God, but the love of God's children when they walk in. But the reality is, if we were to be honest and we were to get real, and we were to be really frank and take off our rose-colored glasses and get rid of the nostalgia that comes from Granny taking us to church as a kid and what we've been taught about the church and the defensiveness that comes 
when we're talking about our church, the reality is all across America, the most unloving place is the local church. Over 74% of Cherokee County doesn't attend church. They don't have a Jesus problem. They have a church problem. They have found the church lacking. They have found a church that talks a lot about love and does a really piss poor job of showing love. It does a great job of talking about love and a really good job of living out judgment. We will love you if you look like us and you act like us and you vote like us and you believe like us or whatever it is. If you have the same social standing that we do, think about it. The most segregated place in the world is church on Sunday morning. It's not only segregated by color. We've got the black church and the white church. It's segregated by generations. We've got the contemporary church where all the young people go, and we've got the traditional church where the older people go. And then it's segregated by economics. Oh, that's the money church. You ever heard that? That's, that's the money church. Oh, that's, that's the poor church. Oh, that's the church that does this, and that's the church that does this. It's segregated. going to be a lot of disappointed people when they get to heaven. You've heard me say this before. I, I, I can't wait to get to heaven. Talk to all the people who never thought I'd make it. I pray. Literally, I pray on the daily. You say, this is not very Christian of you. Well, I'm not the best Christian always. But on the daily, I pray, Lord, there's a certain pastor in this community, and I pray you put my trailer right next to his mansion in heaven. Where every time I roll out to my mailbox every morning with my cup of Heavenly Joe, he has to see me in my wife beater, my boxers, and my bathrobe, and he just knows I made it. He said, that's horrible. I said, that's just what I pray all the time. I want him to see me every day. Hey! Crapper's full, I made it! The church ought to be a loving place. And a lot of us are going to be real disappointed when we get to heaven to see who made it and who didn't make it. You ever heard the saying, and I grew up this, so don't get offended that I'm picking on this denomination because I could have chosen any denomination. The guy's getting, Michael, giving, the archangel's giving a tour, the guy through heaven, and he takes him down the streets of gold, and he says, here's this, and here's that, and boy, here's where they worship, and here's where they do this, and they're doing the thing, and the guy says, well, what? what's that corner over there that seems kind of by itself? Angel whispered, he said, shh. He said, that's the Baptist. They think they're the only ones that are here. <laughs> Boy, heaven's going to be disappointing for a lot of people. But so many people want nothing to do with the church because the church has become more known for what it's against than what it's for. The church is known more for its hate than it is its love. The church gives the illusion of love and acceptance, but the reality is, like the song says, the church has given love a bad name. We should be the most loving place on earth. 
There should never be a day when someone walks through those doors and they're not welcome at this church. That doesn't mean we have to approve of certain things that they do, just like we don't approve of certain things that you do. It doesn't mean we have to accept everything about those people. But what it means is we need to learn to love no matter what. Because that's what we're left here for. And the day we become a church, I'm not talking about church in general. Let me make this very clear. I'm talking about little C church, local church, action church. The day we stop being that will be the day we shut the doors of this church. I have zero desire to be part of a church that's unloving. We can be a church that is split politically, and I can deal with that. I have dealt with it in the last two years. We can be a church that doesn't always agree on everything theological. Guess what? We'll find out when we get to heaven who was right. I have a feeling we're going to find out we were mostly wrong, all of us. We can be a church of all different kinds of walks of life and different opinions and social standing and skin color and sexual presence. I don't give two rips about any of those things, but we will never be a church that doesn't love. And if we begin to get an inkling that we're not loving, the leadership of this church will step in and put a stop to that. Our newsflash for you, the lease is in my name. We'll close the doors. That's how strongly I feel about it. And the problem is when a church decides to love, they already start behind the eight ball because the church is known, big C church is known for not loving. So you've got to spend time building up cred and loving on people before they actually trust that you're loving them, no strings attached. I remember growing up, we had this kid in the neighborhood. He was a nerdy little something. I was raised by a mom who did not tolerate bullying at all. So I never bullied the kid. i got to be honest with you, I never really took up for the kid either. And I remember my ninth grade year hearing that this kid was trying out for the football team trying out the football team in a small town where I grew up in basically means you came to practice, and if you, made, if you came to practice, you made the team. There was no trying out. So this kid made the team, and everyone was ruthless to him. I remember we would th- they would throw him in the locker, and you got the little screen, so they would throw powder on him through the locker. It was mean. It was horrible. But at 16, 15, it was funny. I remember we'd have to go run. We had to run around our town. It was a mile run, and they would strip him of his clothes and make him run back naked. Probably should email that kid an apology. Um, yeah, I know. I didn't say I did it. They did it. I was scared of my mama. Okay? But again, I didn't stop it. But I'll never forget after about two or three weeks of practice, my mom shows up to get me. And Brent gets in the car. We drive home. I asked my mom, I said, what was Brent doing in the car? What does it matter? He needed to ride. He lives in our neighborhood. I said, oh, it matters. Oh, it matters, Mom. I'm 14. I'm 15. It matters. Can't be seen with that. She said, well, 
We just decided, me and his mom, instead of doing this every night, we were going to carpool and trade off weeks. I'm like, no! We're not doing that! (laughs) My mom looks at me, and I'll never forget, she said, what is that look on your face about? She said, do you have a problem being seen with Brent? I went to state my case because I like to think I make good cases. That my mom would understand my 15-year-old ego. And before I could get two words out of my mouth, my mom cut me off and asked me this question. It's ingrained in my head and this word changed my life. She said, let me ask you a question there, big guy. What makes Brent so unlovable that he doesn't deserve the same respect every other kid gets? I had no answer. I remember one of the few times in my life, I am now 45 years old, I believe it's happened three times, that I was speechless. I sat there. Not agreeing with her because I wanted to agree with her because I still didn't care. But knowing that I had no argument that would win my case and to top it off, knowing she was right. Unlovable. That's a powerful word. I had never heard that word before and it changed my life. What makes him so unlovable? I hit high school, and I was kind of hell on wheels. And it was funny, during that time, I became the kid who was unlovable. I remember my junior year of school, and they would vote on people as we were going into our senior year, most likely to succeed, most likely to be a millionaire, most likely to be this, most likely to be that. And I was voted most likely to end up in prison. I remember people saying, Gary will come up with some scheme to swindle somebody out of millions of dollars, and he will end up in prison. I became the unlovable kid. And God begins to do something in your heart. He begins to examine you, and you begin to examine what true love is. And I think those instances in my life have made it why I was thinking about it today. 25 years I've been a pastor now. 25 years. I have pastored churches in Iowa. I have pastored churches here. I have pastored one of the biggest, fastest growing churches in the country. I have pastored you crazy mofos for 10 years. That's the equivalent in dog years of like 50 years. But one consistent is in... Anywhere I pastored, it was always the focus to reach the unlovable. To reach the island of misfit toys. To reach those who didn't feel like they were accepted in church. And I'm smoking what I'm selling when it comes to that. 
And so when it comes to the vision of Action Church, we will always be a church that loves God, like Phil said, and loves people. But we take action. That last word's very important to me. It's why our church is named Action Church. Because it's one thing to say you love God. Every church in the country will tell you they love God. Every church in the country will tell you they love people. That's the greatest commandment, and the other one's just like it. you got to love God and you love people. But the reality is talk is cheap. So we've always been, we're going to love God. We're going to love people. We're going to take action. We're going to put that into play. We're going to put that into practice. I wasn't a very lovable kid growing up, and some would say I'm not a very lovable person now. And I think because of that is why my focus has always been on the unlovable. And if you've ever wondered where Action Church will stand, we will always stand with those that are unlovable because they need the love. I said it's not the healthy that need the ER. It's not the healthy that need a doctor. Bible says we're to be salt and we're to be light. Guess what? Salt does you no good if it's not around something that needs savoring. It's not around something that needs preserved. Hey, light does you no good. If I pull out my flashlight right now, big deal. you got to have darkness to understand the effects of light. And what's happened is, is the church has created its little cocoon of people in our little tribe and our little cults, and we're so insider focus that we have forgot there's a world around us who needs Jesus and the way we reach them for Jesus is to love them when they're unlovable. It's got to be our goal. It's got to be our focus. I love the Brantley Gilbert song where he says, the ones who don't trust anyone, trust me. Those that want nothing to do with church for whatever reason, coming on 10 years now, the first week in December, have trusted this place. Because the people in this church have practiced love even when people were unlovable. Even when they didn't agree with everything that was said here, everything that was said out there, or everything that was said on Kylie Blankenship's Facebook, they showed up week after week because they were loved. It's been our path. I don't think that we do much right as a church based on what the church has become. We don't fit the mold of what North America has turned the American church into. But we've loved well. And this is not a message of scolding today because I still think we love well. But it's a message of reminder today. Because what happens is, over time, if you don't hear the vision and you don't get the reminder, you drift off a little bit. They say a big ship can drift one degrees off course over the course of one hour. And it can put him five to six hundred miles off his original course. So if we're not careful, we can begin to drift. I always say that vision leaks. You ever seen a helium balloon? You never see the helium balloon fall, ever. Just over time, it starts to drop, and it drops a little bit more, and it drops a little bit more as the helium begins to leak out of it. And if we're not careful, the vision 
can begin to leak out of that. Everything we do as a church should be modeled after the life of Jesus, and Jesus can be summed up in one word, love. That doesn't mean Jesus did not confront truth. That does not mean Jesus did not get angry. That does not mean Jesus was some passive, dope-smoking hippie. He was a warrior. He was a man's man. He was a a blue-collar carpenter. But at the end of the day, he loved people right where they are. Love's a weird word because we feminized love. We made love sound like some kind of sissy thing. When love is a powerful thing, it's a strong thing. It's a warrior mindset thing. You know how mentally strong you have to be to love someone that you don't like? How many of your spouses ever tell you mine does? I love you. Oh, but I don't like you right now. That's power. To love someone when you don't like them. You don't like their choices and you don't like their lifestyle and you don't like the direction of their life, but you still understand the power of love is to model the life of Jesus. He was called the friend of sinners. He hung out with the lowest of the low. The drudges of society were drawn to him. Now here's what's amazing to me. Don't miss this. Jesus didn't have to become like them for them to be drawn to him. I have people all the time be like, how are you friends with so-and-so and they believe so different than you? Because I love them. They know where I stand. I don't back down from where I stand. I also don't feel the need to attack them every time I'm around them. It's like shooting fish in a barrel anyway. What fun is that? We love. Jesus loved. And in his perfection, the imperfect were drawn to him. In every sense of the word, he loved the unlovable. I'm convinced. The toughest teaching in all the Bible is found in Mark 12, 31. The Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's hard to do. I am a big fan of Gary Lamb. I like me. I ain't gonna, I'm going to apologize for that. So for me to love someone else like I love myself, especially when I don't like the person to begin with, it's not always easy. So that's not very pastor-like. Well, your other pastors think it too. They just don't have the testicular fortitude to be real enough with you on stage and say it. When you hear this, it sounds so simple. Love your neighbor as yourself, and so you start thinking about it. Jesus tells us to love our, our neighbors. He doesn't just say like your neighbors. As a matter of fact, he doesn't say you have to like them. You know one thing I found out a few years ago is you don't get to pick your neighbor. Our neighbor's everyone. People who don't believe like us, dream like us, have the values that we have, serve the same God that we have. They're still our neighbors. Yeah, Jesus tells them to love them. I, I, I struggled with this for a long time. I used to have a neighbor, a physical, literal neighbor. I couldn't stand him. If you follow my Facebook, you've heard me talk about him. I didn't trust him. He was inappropriate in his comments to my wife one time. 
and I about put his head through a window. He was rude, inconsiderate, loud. His yard was a mess. Woke up every morning to a limo. I remember limo, dude. I couldn't stand him. I didn't even feel comfortable with my kids being outside when he was outside. I tried to justify my teachings here and say, Jesus didn't have to deal with that idiot. He wouldn't have loved him. The reality is Jesus dealt with people far worse than limo, dude. He dealt with people who literally wanted to kill him. Scratch that. He dealt with people who did kill him. And yet he loved all the way to the end. (laughs) It's an awesome thing to me about God. He wasn't just God in heaven spouting off a bunch of things that we should do. He actually came to, to earth in the form of a man. And he lived and he walked and he went through all the same things that you and I go through and dealt with all the same issues that I, you and I deal with. So he didn't tell us to do something that he wasn't doing himself. That's the humanity of Jesus. He dealt with people all the time, far worse than you and I deal with, yet he loved them. So I kept asking myself, how do you love unlovable people? We're commanded to do it, so how do we do it? As I begin to study out the life of Jesus, I I begin to understand two simple truths about Jesus. First, this. Everyone is created in God's image. That's very important. You have to understand that everyone is created in God's image. Every human that you come in contact with, God molded. God shaped. The great artist and the masterpiece that he made is the human being that you're looking at. If we're worthy of love, so is everyone else. Because God created us. The Bible says in Psalms 139, 14, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. You need to understand something today. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make surprises. He told Jeremiah, he said, I knew you in the womb, and I set you apart for greatness. You've heard me say this 10 million times. It's hands down the line I've used more than any other line I've ever used. You might have been a surprise to mommy and daddy as they made out in the backseat of their car, but you didn't surprise God. He shaped you and he formed you and he molded you and he put you through the experiences you went through. And when you begin to see people and they begin to frustrate you and they begin to irritate you and you begin to get angry with people, you need to realize just as you were formed in the image of God, they were formed in the image of God. Second thing we need to realize is because of sin, we're all unlovable. Because of sin, we're all unlovable. It's easy to get them and say, we need to love the unlovable. Who's the unlovable? Let's be reality. To somebody, all of us are unlovable. You're the bad guy in somebody's story somewhere. Always. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. People tell me all the time, the Bible's just complicated. Let me break this down for you in the original language. That word all in the original language 
It means all. 100%. All. Listen, I know you think week after week, man, there's Gary and he is perfect. I understand. I understand. I get it. I get it. But the Bible says all have sinned. That word, have sinned, means all have sinned. And because of our sin, we fall short of God's glory because the glory of God is perfection. And you can't obtain that. You can't do it on your own. And so guess what? It took a perfect being, his name was Jesus, to come along and pay the price for the debt that we owed because we had a debt that we couldn't pay and he paid it. We are unlovable. Think about the greatest person you know. I can tell you right now, my wife would say it's David Hawkins. The greatest, nicest guy, she wouldn't even flinch. As much as I love David and he's not here to defend himself today, David is not perfect. I have actually seen, I have actually seen David get angry before. Once. Once. I heard words come out of his mouth one time working on that side of the building. That would make a sailor blush. And let's be honest, he ain't perfect. He's married to Lisa. So what I'm saying is, everybody is falling short. You know what I've learned when it comes to people? We tend to judge or determine whether we like people or not based on whether or not they sin like we do. I always get a kick out of alcoholics. I have literally had alcoholics who look down on drug addicts. You're both addicts. I've literally seen alcoholics that get drunk on liquor, or excuse me, get drunk only on beer. Well, at least I don't drink liquor. You still can't function in life without alcohol, you hypocritical, judgmental piece of trash. Like, it's amazing what we justify. I, I, just, I just struggled with gambling. I just struggled with eating. I just struggled with anger. I just struggled with insecurity. At least I don't struggle with... How about we just all screw up? We all mess up. We all fall short of God's glory. Because of sin, we're all unlovable. I've never been an alcoholic. I've never been a drug addict. I've never... Uh, had a gambling problem. I have never uh, had necessarily had anger issues. Um, no, I, I get angry. I didn't say I didn't get angry. I said, but I don't have anger issues. I'm not an angry person, am I? I don't have anger issues. Y'all, y'all take honesty as angry. I'm very rarely angry, actually. Y'all get angry because I say stuff, but I'm not angry. But guess what? I can list you all the things I don't do, but there's a lot of people that I'm pretty unlovable to. Run a poll in the city, most loved person in Canton. I probably would come into the top five. Run a poll, most hated person in Canton. I'd probably come in number one. 
statement is. To have people love you, you got to have people hate you. That's just life. There's a lot of people, though I, I could look and say, I don't have this sin, this sin, this sin, this sin, this sin, this sin. I'm still unlovable to them because I'm a sinner. If you're looking for the pastor to be perfect, you're at the wrong church. Matter of fact, if you're looking for the perfect church, you're never going to find it. And if you do find it, don't you join it because it won't be perfect anymore. Man, because of sin, we're all unlovable. We've all screwed up. We've all messed up. We all fall short of God's glory. There's not a person here who's not unlovable to someone. So when it comes to how do we love people, you've got to understand a couple of principles. Everyone's creating God's image. That waitress today that's going to irritate you because she took five extra minutes to get your food out today and you want to snap on her, she's creating the image of God. As we went out the other day and this place was moving super slow and I said something to him, the girl looked at it and said, I make minimum wage around here. And the hair on my arm stood up and I wanted to snap. I had to remind myself, because of sin, we're all unlovable. So this girl's unlovable right now. I want to slap her across the face, but she's probably only 15 years old, and I'm not going to do that. Because guess what? When I was 15, I probably would have said the same thing. Because of sin, we're all unlovable. There's the reasons you need to. But sometimes the reasons you need to are not enough. I can tell you all the reasons you need to eat healthy doesn't mean I put in steps to eat healthy. So I've given you the reasons, but let's get down to the practical things today and we're going to get out of here. How do we go about loving the unlovable? Gary, I get it. I need to love the unlovable. Everyone's creating God's image. Sounds great. We're all sinners. I get it. I'm not arguing with you, but it's not that easy. How do I do it? Well, the first thing we need to learn is we need to learn to see people and not problems. We need to learn to see people and not problems. <laughs> Luke 7, soon afterwards, about verse 11, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd were along with him. So he's walking into town. The disciples are with him. A large crowd's rolling in town with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother... She was a widow, so she had no husband. Her only son is now dead. And a large crowd from the town was worse. So you need to understand that when funerals happened, they happened in the evenings when everybody got off work and the entire town would go to the funeral to pay their respects. So Jesus is rolling into town, going to the gate. Remember, there was walls around every city that was protection, so you went through a gate. So Jesus is rolling in with his posse, and the funeral posse is rolling out at the same time. So these two worlds are about to collide. And she was a widow, and a large calf from the town was with her. When the Lord saw who? When the Lord saw who? When the Lord saw who? She wasn't dead. Who did the Lord see? Her. His heart went out to her. And said, don't cry. This is powerful. Powerful. He wasn't moved by the dead person. But when he saw her... Then he went in and touched up the bear that they were carrying him on, and the bear stood still. He said, young man, I said, you get up. The dead man stood up and began to walk, and Jesus came back to his mother. Jesus could have looked at it as a problem. He's rolling into town. He's tired. He's been traveling all day. He's probably coming into town to find a place to rest his head. 
find a place to wash up, to find a place for dinner. But the entire town is now shut down as they go to the funeral. So there will be no checking into the hotel at this moment. There will be no place to go and, and get cleaned up. There will be no place to serve him dinner until the funeral's over and gets back. Most of us would have looked at that as an inconvenience. We would have looked at it as a problem. Jesus, though, saw the mother. And he was moved by the heartache on the mother. He saw a person. What you need to realize today is everybody is somebody, somebody. I'm going to repeat that. I said, everybody is somebody, somebody. That person that you get frustrated with, and I get it, man, they frustrate me too. Guess what? They're somebody's daughter. They're somebody's son. They're somebody's grandson. They're somebody's brother. That person that you want to attack because they don't look like you and act like you and believe like you, instead of trying to figure out that all you do is look at them as a problem. It's a problem that you had to stay in the grocery store for three extra minutes at the cashier line because she messed up instead of looking at a girl who says, hey, maybe the whole store's shorthanded. This girl's put in 12 hours today. She's probably got kids at home that are waiting on her to get there. She's got a husband who's trying to do all he can to keep the house down. But we don't see people. We see problems. And we get angry and we get frustrated. Get behind a car and it's moving five miles slower than we want it to move and we're inconvenienced for a minute and we don't see. Person, we see a problem. You've got to look at people and see people. Loving people is an action. It's hard to serve people and not love people. We need to learn to see people and not problems. Let me address this. We need to learn to see people and not problems. Let me give you a little, let me, let me uh, get off course for a minute. Let me address the big rumor that's going around this week. Let me address the thing that many of you messaged me about this week. Action Church will always be about people and not problems. Action Church will always be about people, don't miss this, and not buildings. I knew the minute I got the email this week that no one would be able to keep their mouth shut and I would get five more emails and ten more direct messages. And what are we going to do? Oh my God, have you heard? Blah, blah, blah. So let me address it. 100%. There's no sugarcoating it. This property that we're meeting on is for sale. What you don't know is it's been for sale for four months now. But one of you finally saw the listing. What are we going to do? We're going to have church every week. Because we're not about this building. We're about these people. Now, I don't know that it will be here. But guess what? If it's not here, it'll be somewhere. There's a warehouse somewhere There's a piece of property, we'll throw a tent up on it, and we'll have church every week. We've never been about this building. This building is a piece of junk. This building saps so much of our money anyway. We're about people, and we will always be about people. And the church is not about a building, it's about people. But are you stressed, Gary? No! I don't care! Matter of fact, I'm wired where it excites me. But here's the deal, we have a lease. We have three more years on the lease. I don't care who buys it. we got three years on a lease. If they buy the building, they have to relocate us or let us stay at least for three more years. Three more years, we'll find, man, we'll find another crap hole to meet in. We got it about as simple as you need it. Here's what we need. One big room and two small rooms for the kids. It'll get any easier. I don't care. You must have forgot when we started this church and we met in the parking lot for four months. 
I posted a picture on Facebook yesterday. You must have forgotten we met next door. There wasn't even sheetrock on the walls. We had one outlet in the entire church that worked that we ran generators outside to run the sound system, and we plugged in construction lights to meet on. You must have forgot that we didn't have space for kids, so we drove school buses around the back of the building, gutted the school buses, put hardwood floors in them, put an air conditioning unit in it, We would check the kids in through a door. So if you were a first-time guest, you thought your kids were going to the kids' area. No, they were going to a school bus out back. I would never forget them. Mom said, my kids love the school bus theme in the kids' area. I was thinking, there ain't no school bus theme. They ain't a school bus. Three of them, to be exact. Then, 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 we, listen, we transformed the, this is an old grocery store. We transformed the walk-in coolers. Do you hear what I'm telling you? We put kids in walk-in coolers that we hung curtains around where you wouldn't see the metal of the cooler and the mold that had been growing. We washed the mold off, but the mold that had been there for years of the coolers being shut down. You think finding another building scares us? It doesn't worry about us because we're not about a building. We're about people. And when you love people and you unlove, when you love the unlovable, I believe God will always provide. Here's what's amazing. Because we love the unlovable. Do you know how many non-Christians that want nothing to do with church and religion actually support this church? When we give Canton the bird at Thanksgiving and we feed 2,500 families Thanksgiving, man, you guys do awesome. I'm not, I'm not crapping on you. But 75% of the donations that come in from that come in from non-church-going people who just believe in what we do. They believe in the impact that we're making. You think this community is going to allow us to go without a building? You think I'm going to allow us to go without a building? I'll have create, listen, I'll triple our attendance losing a building. I'll create so much hype over not having a building. I'll have some kind of slogan going on, promotion going on. Listen, it will be on the news having no building. I don't care. We've got, we're in the process of putting elders in place, and guess what? That's their headache. We'll find a building. I'm just going to preach every week. I don't care. We'll really meet in a tent. We'll meet, we'll meet in a tent. We'll meet in a tent. I don't care. Now, now listen, I'm bougie a little bit now. We at least going to meet in a tent with some sides and some AC. Because I ain't going to sweat now. I ain't going to sweat. I'll host some more festivals just to pay for the AC. Well, we can have Porta Johns, but we're going to have some AC in the tent. Guess what? All we need is a building. Everything in this building's ours. We had the best sound of tent in America. I got 500 folding chairs behind these curtains. We got seats. I ain't worried about it. I ain't worried about it. You quit worrying about it. You worry about loving people. Why didn't you address it before? Because I didn't care. I forgot about it, to be honest with you. All you freak out. It sells the sales. Well, why don't we buy it? Because we're not buying it. It ain't worth 4.3 million. No, we ain't buying it. We ain't buying it. 
I'll be honest with you, I don't think anybody else is buying it for that much. But I've been wrong one time before. Y'all see a problem and I just see people. I said, who's excited about that? Man. So we need to learn to see people, not problems. We need to understand that we serve people regardless. Oh, this one's hard for you, Action Church. We serve people regardless of whether they deserve it. You know about them. They're capable of blah, 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 blah. Not my, that's, there, that's between them and God. My issue is to love. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had gone from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Check it out, check it out, check it out. Last meal, they should have been washing Jesus' feet. He washes their feet. But not only does he wash the disciples' feet, he washes the feet of the man that's fixing to betray him. He didn't deserve it. Jesus wanted to serve. You know what that person did? I know I don't, and I don't care. You know what I did? <laughs> Staying in line. Are we having a peeing contest of who did worse? Our job's to serve. I get a kick every year. Every, and I, I'm going to compliment you. have got way better at it. But there's always a few. We have 2,000 people lined up to get Thanksgiving dinner. Family will come through. About 300 people later to be the same family again. Y'all freak out. They've already been through. Oh, okay. Like you'll ruin the whole evening over it. A freaking $6 turkey. And $10 worth of sides. Who cares? And then you always try to spiritualize it. Well, what if someone else needed one and they took two? Then we'll go buy another one. Shut up. They only show up when it's time to get Christmas, or they only show up when it's time for the food. Our job's to love. Our job's to serve. And you can't love without serving people. And you can't love the unlovable without serving the unlovable. It's just the way it goes. I get it. It's hard. It goes against my flesh sometimes. I always joke that I'm always the pastor that's not good enough for you to come join my church. Not my church, but you know what I mean, the church I pastor. But I'm always the pastor that when your world falls apart and you're too embarrassed to go to your pastor that you come to. I do. I always joke about that. I'm like, man, they won't darken the doors of the church I go to, but boy, when the crap hits the fan, we need Gary. And it kind of hurts your ego every now and then. It's frustrating sometimes. They left the church. Why are you over there helping? My job is to love the unlovable. Do you not remember what they said about you? Are you crazy? I don't forget anything. I'm like an elephant. Unless it's my wife telling me to take out the trash. I can forget that sometimes. I have short-term memory loss. Not long-term memory loss. I remember everything. 
I remember where they were and what they were wearing when they turned on me. But I'm going to serve because that's our job. And it's hard. And we serve people of whether they deserve it or not. Because guess what? When I didn't deserve to be loved, people loved me. Matter of fact, when I pastored a church that averaged over 1,000 people in attendance every week and lost everything, 13 people to be exact, loved me. 13. I'll never forget the number. 13 people reached out to me to say, man, whatever you need, we're there for you. This church wouldn't exist without those 13 people. Of those 13 people, I think, oh, I hate saying this because I, I mess it up, but I think one of them's still around, Tony Catter. I think. There was only one pre that. I could be wrong. Maybe I, if, I, if I butchered that, I'm sorry. Memory loss. But man, today I'll bury someone who was one of those 13 who went through some things and left our church about a year ago, not because of anything with the church, because of their own struggles. But guess what happened when they needed me last week? I didn't say, well, you ain't been around a year and a half. Dropped everything, said, hey, I won't be home. She, she left to go cook dinner. I said, hey, put that in the Tupperware. I won't be home tonight. Why? I said, blah, 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 blah. I got to go to Kennestone. Yep, cool. Click. Well, no questions asked. We serve people regardless. That's what we do. We love the unlovable. And if you're going to love the unlovable, you serve people. And last, I want to get out of here because I'm done. And I'm hungry. I got to go do a funeral. You love how you want to be loved. How about you treat people the way you'd want to be treated? If it was your life that was unlovable, how would you still want people to love you? And that's key. Because I thought about this a long time ago. I just wanted you to love me no matter what. Now I want you to love me no matter what, but I want you to love me with some stipulations. I want you to love me, but still speak truth into my life. I don't need yes men around me. You say, really? Mm -mm. I don't need yes men. Now, I also don't need no men. You say, what's the difference? I'll give you the difference. Here's the difference. If I go and I meet with my group of leaders here at the church and I say, guess what I want to do? I want to land a 747 in this parking lot. I don't want them to look at me and be like, I can't be done. There's no way. Are you an idiot? I want to look at me and say, yeah, we can do that. Now, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to buy about 350 acres around the building. You're going to have to develop all that land. You're going to have to get all kinds of environmental stuff done. You're going to have to get protected. You're going to have to go to the FAA to get approval. We're looking at about a probably a 35-year process. It's probably going to cost about $1.5 billion. Now, you want to do it, we can do it. But here's the reality of what it's going to take. I'm going to look and be like, yeah, I don't really want to land that 747 anymore. See, there's a difference. They didn't tell me, no, it can't be done, because the reality is it can be done. They just gave me the reality of what it's going to take to make it get done. So I want you to love me, but I want you to speak truth to me. I want you to love me, but I want you to have boundaries. I want you to love me, 
but I want you to cut me off if you need to, if it's unhealthy for you. Now, normally what happens is you cut us off and you're back in about two weeks. But we're lovable around here. Say amen, Sander. You can't leave this place. We're too lovable. We love how we want to be loved. That person you want to snap at, actually, how would would you want to be treated from that person? How would you want that person to love you in your sin? Go back to point number one, Xander. Can you find it? I need to pull it up in my Bible. I mean, my, my book over here. We're going to learn to see people, not problems. We're going to love people regardless of whether they deserve love. And we're going to love how we want to be loved. Because we're not going to be the church in Canton, Georgia, that gives love a bad name. It's not going to happen. There's very few hills I'll die on as a pastor of this church. I'm pretty open-minded. I'm pretty open to differing views. That's one of them. That's one of them. The day we quit being a loving church that's open for everyone is the day I... I I'm not even going to say I'll shut it down, I'll, but y'all can find another pastor. I tell you, you could have David, but David ain't going to put up with it either. Grady ain't going to put up with it. And we're the only three dumb enough to preach around here. So you're stuck with us. So let's just love. Let's be the church that changes the perception of what the church is. Now, when you do that, the religious are going to hate that. The other churches are going to despise that. But that's okay. We don't do it for them. Let's pray.